Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys, whether you're joining us here in person or online. Let me say how happy I am that you decided to uh, join us as we continue through our study in Matthew's Gospel. Our text today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. It's a shorter passage today, but let me tell you, it is theologically packed. It is rich with information, and I just can't wait to teach it to you. Long story short, in these verses, Jesus gives us the motivation that we need to faithfully labor in God's harvest fields, working to reap a great harvest of souls for God. And the motivation that he gives in these particular verses, not the only motivation that's given in all of Scripture, rather the specific motivation given in this particular passage is the motivation he motivates us through the promise of reward. Can we say that out loud together today? This is our theme today, the promise of reward. When I was a kid, um, I needed to be motivated to do well in school. I was not too much uh, interested in academics in my youth. I was interested in athletics in my youth. It was not until I went off to college where I was studying something I was so incredibly passionate about that I began to uh, thrive uh, in my education, okay? Uh, you know, high school, it's not like it was terrible or anything, but it was just sort of ho-hum. But then I go off to college, I'm studying something I love, and now it's 4.0 GPA during my hardest, you know, semester during, during college. But again, it was not this way when I was a youth. <laughs> As a youth, I was interested in athletics, not academics. Well, my parents, realizing that myself, my older brother, my younger sister, we all uh, would probably benefit tremendously uh, from some motivation to get good grades, came up with an ingenious solution. And they kind of invented a little report card rewards program. <laughs> now, uh, it's not going to sound like a lot of money, uh, but remember, this was many, many, many moons ago, and so actually for us, this was like absolutely amazing. Uh, I tried to confirm with my siblings to get down to exactly what it was. None of us could remember exactly, but it was something like this, $10 for every A, $5 for every B. As one of my friends said, C's get degrees, but that wasn't my parents' philosophy, and so we got nothing for a C or below, all right? So that's just kind of where we were at with that. But it was great. My sister, well, it was great for my sister, okay? She did great in school. She was always flush with cash when the report cards came out. Uh, my parents threw me a bone every now and then because, again, not until college did I become uh, an academic, all right? But anyway, I was thinking about that, and you know what? My parents could have said this. The reward for getting a good education is a good education itself, you know? And like, is that true? Yes, it's absolutely true. Would that have meant anything to me in fourth grade? No, it wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Yes, knowledge itself is a reward, but sometimes when you're a kid, you just need a little bit of motivation to do the thing that you know you ought to do, but sometimes can't find the motivation to do. And I bring this up because basically in our passage today, Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, uh, we see Jesus doing with his apostles the same thing my parents did for me and my siblings. He, he provides a little bit of motivation to do the thing that they ought to do. 
Now, Jesus didn't need to incentivize us to right actions through the promise of reward, but this is something that he has chosen to do. And this is the focus of Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. Now, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we've just been studying through Matthew's gospel, and we've spent the last several weeks in Matthew chapter 10. And I'll do a quick review of Matthew chapter 10 so that you can kind of understand why Jesus felt the need to motivate his disciples to right action through the promise of reward. Uh, The context of Matthew 10 is this. Jesus has spent about 18 months with his disciples. They are now trained up. He's ready to send them out so they can help to reap a harvest of souls for God by laboring in the harvest fields. And so Jesus just wants them to have realistic expectations as they begin laboring in the harvest fields. And so he just tells them plainly what it's going to be like. But here's the deal. The report that Jesus gives, it's a bleak one. And that's to kind of understate it. Jesus says, hey, as you minister out in the harvest fields for God, you're going to feel like sheep among wolves because of the hostility you're going to encounter. He tells them that they will be maligned for his sake, arrested for his sake, flogged for his sake, and sometimes even put to death for his sake. And if this wasn't enough... Jesus tells them that oftentimes following him will put a huge rift between them and their family. And he says, oh, remember when I was talking about being arrested and sometimes flogged and sometimes put to death? Well, let me tell you, sometimes you will be arrested and turned over to the authorities by the members of your own family. And then Jesus says this, you're going to be faced with the decision to deny me and get out of trouble or to confess me and suffer the consequences. And I want to let you know right up front that in those situations, I expect you to suffer the consequences, to confess me and to suffer the consequences. So how many of you understand that at this point, the disciples are going, what have we got ourselves into? They thought Jesus was going to be a great king who would rule over a great kingdom. And and instead of getting invited into the palace to have a life of privilege, Jesus here says, follow me. And if you do, here's your reward. Loneliness, rejection, pain, suffering, and death. So does anyone, anyone understand why he ends his little speech right before he sends them out to labor in the harvest fields? Does anyone understand why he ends with a little bit of incentive towards right behavior. Does anyone now understand why Jesus incentivizes them through the promise of reward? He is giving them an arduous task, and they're no doubt wondering, why should I give myself to this task? It seems really hard. Why should I care about other people when the personal cost to me is so great? What in the world is going to motivate me to stay faithful as a worker in God's harvest field when all I'm promised is hostility and persecution? Well, friends, that's the very question that Jesus answers in our text, where Jesus speaks to them of the promise of reward. Let me show it to you so you can see that this is the theme for yourself. Picking up in verse 40, Jesus says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. 
And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Friends, if you're taking notes, number one, the first thing we see in our passage today is this. We see that Jesus promises reward for those who share the gospel. That's the first thing we see in our text, that Jesus promises reward for those who share the gospel. Now, all throughout Matthew's gospel so far, in the first 10 chapters, over and over and over, Jesus has promised reward. For example, Jesus has promised reward for enduring persecution, reward for loving your enemies, reward for caring for the poor, reward for praying with the right motives, and reward for fasting with the right motives. So it really shouldn't take a surprise that here um, in verses 40 to 42 of chapter 10, Jesus once again promises reward. He once again incentivizes right behavior through the promise of reward. And this is what he's speaking about in the first part of verse 41. In the first part of verse 41, Jesus speaks of uh, what he calls a prophet's reward. And here he's referring to the reward that comes to the person who serves on this earth in God's harvest fields as God's mouthpiece. And friends, that's because that's what a prophet is. A prophet is simply God's mouthpiece on this earth. It's the one who shares God's message, the gospel, with others. This is why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 9, John the Baptist is referred to as a prophet. That's because he served on this earth as God's mouthpiece. He came with the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Likewise, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus is also referred to as a prophet. Why? Because he too served as God's mouthpiece on the earth. He also, like John the Baptist, came sharing the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, what you and I need to understand today is that you and I have this same calling to serve on this earth as God's mouthpiece, sharing the good news of salvation through faith in Christ with the world. As Jesus put it, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, this is our message. Likewise, in verse 27, Jesus commands us, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So Jesus is saying this message of good news that you've learned in private, now I want you to go proclaim it publicly. And this is our calling, to serve as God's prophets, meaning serve as God's mouthpieces on this earth. And when we do that, for doing the work of the prophet, Jesus promises a prophet's reward. That is the reward that comes to all who serve as God's mouthpiece on this earth. Now, anytime we talk about rewards, uh, we begin to wonder, well, what is the nature of this reward? Well, again, all throughout Matthew's gospel, he's been promising reward. He's promised reward for enduring persecution, for loving our enemies, for caring for the poor, and for praying and fasting with right motives. And in every instance, the reward promised is to be given to us, not here and now on earth, rather in heaven. As Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, for your reward is great, let's say this out loud, in heaven. 
That's right. Now, some people are disappointed when they learn that their reward is um, eternal and not temporal. But friends, this makes no sense. As Jesus told us back in Matthew chapter 6, any reward we get here on earth, uh, moth and rust can destroy, thieves can come in and steal. Any reward we get in heaven, moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot come in and steal. In other words, an eternal reward is so much better than a temporal one. So don't be disappointed that the reward is eternal, not temporal. An eternal reward is better. So this is something we should be happy about. And again, the reward comes to those who serve as God's mouthpiece on this earth. Now, friends, as you and I try to serve as God's mouthpiece on the earth, something we need to keep in mind is this. The lifestyle we live will either enhance or detract from the message that we share. Have you ever heard of a public uh, Christian uh, being hypocritical in some, you know, big way? And what does it do? It just, it just detracts from whatever message they've shared. People say that person's a hypocrite. And now uh, a, a critic of the Christian faith has ammunition with which to attack it, as well as they have an excuse with which to reject it. And so it's really important that as we serve as God's mouthpiece on this earth, and no, none of us will be perfect, it's very important that we strive our best to have a life that enhances and doesn't detract from the message we share. And this is what Jesus was speaking of back in verse 16, when he instructed us to be innocent as doves as we labor in the harvest fields. Uh, the dove was known to be pure. The dove was known to be innocent. So Jesus here is speaking of an upright life that doesn't detract from the message that's being shared. And Jesus says, when you live as God's mouthpiece on the earth, and when you live a life that doesn't turn people off to the faith, rather you live a life that turns people onto the faith, Jesus now speaks of, in the second part of verse 41, he speaks of a righteous person's reward. And friends, this is simply the reward that comes to the person who lives not a perfect life, but consistently lives the kind of life that turns people onto the faith versus a hypocritical one that turns people off to it. So friends, is it an arduous task that we've been assigned to minister in a world that's hostile to God? Absolutely. But our first source of motivation for being faithful to minister in God's harvest fields is this. God has promised reward for those who share their faith. Number two, not only does Jesus promise a reward to those who share their faith. Secondly, Jesus promises reward for those who receive the gospel. So Jesus promises reward for those who share the gospel. And now number two, Jesus promises reward for those who receive the gospel. In our passage, verses 40 to 42, Jesus talks a lot about lost people receiving, receiving, receiving. He talks about lost people receiving God's ambassadors, lost people receiving God's prophets, lost people receiving God's righteous ones. And since there's so much talk about receiving, I think it's good for us to take our time and understand what it really means in this passage to receive uh, God's workers. So let's begin in verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus instructed his disciples this. 
Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So here's Jesus. He's sending his uh, apostles out into the various uh, cities and villages throughout the region of Galilee. And he says, as you arrive at each place, day after day, you're traveling to a different spot. And as you arrive in each place, uh, find someone who is willing to uh, receive you into their home uh, and provide for your needs. In other words, give you food and lodging. And from verse 11, what we learn is that part of receiving uh, God's worker is showing them hospitality. But friends, what I want you to understand is that merely showing the apostles hospitality was not to receive them in the fullest sense. To receive the apostles was more than merely welcoming them into your home to receive the apostles, was to receive the message that they came into your home to share in the first place. So to receive the apostles means to receive the message they came to share, which was this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because he is the great king that God promised to send into the world who would one day rule over an eternal kingdom. Now, we know that this is the case because of verse 40, where Jesus says this, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So in verse 40, Jesus is talking about receiving the disciples. In other words, receiving the message the disciples came to share about Jesus, which can result in eternal life. That mere hospitality is not what Jesus is talking about here is reinforced elsewhere in Scripture. For example, look with me at John chapter 1. John writes this, He, Jesus, came to his own, to the Jewish people from whom he came, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here, John defines the word receive for us. To receive Jesus is to believe on him so your sins can be forgiven and you can become a child of God and inherit eternal life. So all this to say, to receive the apostles was to receive their message about Jesus and to receive, ultimately, eternal life. So... What Jesus is speaking of here is the reward that comes to those who receive the gospel. There's a reward that comes to those who share the gospel, but there's also the reward that comes to those who receive the gospel. And the reward that comes to those who receive the gospel is eternal life. And man, talk about motivation for the apostles and talk about motivation for us. They were going to go out and labor in God's harvest fields where they were promised to be met with great hostility so much so that they would sometimes feel like sheep among a pack of wolves. Well, what was their motivation to be faithful in ministering in those kinds of environment? And friends, their motivation was this. Someone might accept their message and become a recipient of eternal life. And friends, this is the same thing that ought to motivate you and I to go into the labor fields. Sometimes we focus too much on how we might become the object of hostility instead of focusing on what we should, which is they might become a recipient of eternal life. You focus on the hostility, you don't share your faith. You focus on how God might use you to lead someone into the eternal kingdom of Christ. Well, now you got the motivation you need. 
So friends, number one, God promises to bless us uh, when we share our faith. And God promises to bless those who receive. And now moving on to number three. Not only does Jesus promise reward for those who share their faith, not only does Jesus promise reward for those who uh, um, receive the gospel, now number three, Jesus promises reward for those who aid the gospel. That is, aid the work of the gospel. And what you need to understand today is this. All throughout Scripture, God over and over and over again blesses those who aid his work by aiding his work workers. I'll give you several examples of this. The first one comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings 17, the wicked king Ahab is trying to kill God's mouthpiece, God's prophet named Elijah. And so to protect Elijah, God sends him north outside the land of Israel to a town called Zarephath. And there in Zarephath, Elijah's needs were to be met and to be provided for uh, by a widow who lived there with her son. And so Elijah shows up and the woman says, hey, we're all starving because of the famine in the land that came as the result of the lack of rain. And Elijah says, well, hey, just go ahead and make something for me. And as commanded by God, this woman provided for Elijah's need. And we read in scripture about her reward. She said, Elijah, I'm going to go ahead and make you a meal, but I only got a little bit of flour left in this jar. And I only got a little bit of olive oil left in this jar. And I was about to mix this together and make the last little meal that my son and I were going to be able to have. And then we were going to die. And Elijah says, well, go ahead and provide for me as the Lord's instructed you to do. And she did. And her reward for aiding the work of God by aiding God's worker was that in the midst of that famine, while everyone else was starving, this woman's jar of flour never ran out, nor did her jar of oil. This was her reward for aiding God's work by aiding God's worker. We see another example of this in 2 Kings chapter 4. Here it's not the prophet Elijah, here it's the prophet Elisha. And as Elisha served throughout the land of Israel, as God's mouthpiece, he traveled from place to place. And there was a certain uh, woman who uh, said to Elisha, anytime you come to town, you stop by my house for a meal. And naturally, when you offer food to a man, the man starts showing up all that more. (laughs) And when the woman noticed that Elisha was now coming to town more frequently, uh, she said to her husband, let's build him a little place to stay. And so her and her husband put a little addition onto their home and provided for Elisha and his servant Gehazi a a room, uh, and they furnished it with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp, and they just said, we want to just help the work that you're doing, because you're here in Israel serving as God's mouthpiece, and we want to be a part of that. Well, this woman happened to be barren, but for her reward for aiding the work of God by aiding God's worker, God opened her womb and allowed her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And friends, this was God's reward for her aiding his work through aiding his worker. I'll give you one final example. This one comes from Joshua chapter 2. When the Israelites were about to conquer the promised land, uh, Joshua, Moses' successor, sent spies into the land of Canaan that the Israelites were going to conquer. And they came and stayed with a woman named Rahab. And even though Rahab knew who the Israelites were and knew what they were there to do, and even though Rahab was a Canaanite, she was was an enemy of Israel, 
Rahab recognized that these men were sent by God, as they were. And so she gave them shelter and lodging and protection. And we read this in Hebrews chapter 11. We read of Rahab's reward. We read Rahab did not perish with the rest of the Canaanites, with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. God blessed her for aiding his work by aiding his workers. And friends, that's the way it works. When we share the gospel, we are blessed. When we receive the gospel, we are blessed. And when we aid the gospel, doing what we can to help promote it, we are blessed. And this is what Jesus is speaking to in verse 42. Take a look. Jesus says this, and whoever gives one of these little ones, referring to his apostles, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, friends, providing a cup of cold water here to Jesus' apostles as they traveled through that hot and arid climate represents the smallest gesture to aid God's work by aiding God's workers. Providing a cup of cold water was the smallest act you could do to help. Maybe what you wanted to do was to be like the woman who provided an addition on her home to help God's work by helping God's worker. But you know what? A lot of people can't do that. So Jesus says, don't worry about what you can't do. Even if you provide for my workers, even a simple cup of cold water, because that's all you can do to aid my work on this earth. Even for that, I will reward you. And when Jesus says he will by no means lose his reward, that's just an inverted way of saying with special force, he will certainly receive a reward. Why? Because you aided God's work by aiding God's worker. So friends, follow the flow of our passage, okay? Uh, God sends Jesus into the world. Being in the world, Jesus calls to himself his disciples, and he raises them up, and he trains them, and he sends them out into the harvest fields. His disciples enter the harvest fields as God's ambassadors. They preach as God's prophets, as his mouthpiece, and and with their godly lives, uh, their message is enhanced. Some, not all, but some, respond to their message. They receive it, and in so doing, receive Jesus as well as he who sent him. And now, being saved themselves, they are encouraged to do whatever they can to aid God's work, even if only in the tiniest of ways. Even if all they can do is provide a cup of cold water for one of God's workers, they're encouraged to do what they can, and and God incentivizes those newly saved people to help his work on the earth through the promise of reward. So to summarize, number one, Jesus promises reward to those who share the gospel. Number two, Jesus promises reward to those who receive the gospel. And as we've just covered now, number three, Jesus promises to reward those who aid the gospel. Friends, you think God's pretty serious about getting the gospel out in the world? You just associate yourself with the gospel, boom, reward. All right, let's return to the question that we started with today. What is my motivation to enter God's harvest field and to be faithful, laboring in the harvest field for God, working to reap a harvest of souls for him? What's my motivation? Because it's such a tough task. It's such an arduous assignment that we've been given. So what is our motivation? 
Why should I care about sharing the gospel with others when there's such a personal cost to me? What's going to drive me to be faithful in the work despite the promised hostility? Well, friends, today Jesus has given us the answer. Why labor for God? Jesus says, because God will reward those who share the gospel. Jesus said, why labor for God? Well, because God promises to reward those who receive the gospel. Why labor for God? Because God promises to reward those who aid the gospel. And friends, this is our motivation. To labor in God's harvest fields despite the promised persecution. We are motivated through the promise of reward. When we keep at the forefronts of our minds the hostility that we've been promised, that will discourage us. Fear will fill our hearts and we will not find ourselves sharing the good news. But friends, when we keep at the forefront of our minds the promise of reward, we find the motivation we need to stay faithful. All right, we're almost done, but let's now apply what we've learned practically speaking before we close in prayer. Today we've talked about three things, sharing and receiving and aiding the gospel. So what I want to do today is close with three application questions, one for each of these topics. And we begin with sharing. Question number one, if you're still taking notes, is this, how can I share the gospel? God promises reward for those who share the gospel. Well, how can I do that? Number one, I would say, well, you can do it proactively. Sometimes we wait around for people to ask us the good news. But you know what? Sometimes if that's your approach, you'll never end up sharing. Because sometimes your loved ones, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're just not going to ask. So friends, we got to be proactive about it. I've been interacting with a certain guy for uh, about two years now, I would say. And I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you know what? He just hasn't brought it up. So you know what I did just a couple weeks ago? I just proactively brought it up myself. I was sharing about our second location that we're going to start in Massachusetts in fall of 2023. And I just said, you know, I'm so happy about this because I just love getting to tell people every week in Enfield that they can be saved from the penalty of their sin. And I'm just so glad that come fall of 2023, we're going to get to do that in two locations instead of one. Sometimes you just got to get it out there. You could be saved from the penalty of sin. Friends, that is the gospel in a nutshell. There's peace with God through faith in Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And sometimes we just got to go ahead and proactively get it out there because if we're waiting for people to ask, sometimes they never will. Number two, how else can you share the gospel? Well, how about this? By giving out one of our invite cards. We keep these at the exits throughout our building. And you should just grab one. If you don't have one, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. And get creative with how you give it out. I know one couple in our church, when they go out to eat every time, number one, listen to me, they tip 20%. And then number two, they slip a little New Day invite card in in with their bill. That's awesome. Just get creative with it. Number three, uh, another way to share your faith is this. Invite someone to our upcoming Christmas Eve service. 
This year we're going to have three because last year, if you were here, oh my goodness, wasn't it bananas uh, with only the two? So this year uh, we're going to have three. We're going to have one at 1.30 p.m. We're going to have one at 3 p.m. and and one final one at 4.30 p.m. It's going to once again be music focused. Um, I will be sharing the gospel. The gospel will be interwoven uh, between the songs. It's going to be fun. It's going to be Christ-centered. It's going to be done really well. And since people are, generally speaking, more open to the things of God around Easter and Christmas, why not capitalize on this fact and invite someone to come with you when you come? And here's a little encouragement for you. I just read recently that 82% of people would come to church if a trusted friend invited them. So friends, Satan wants us to believe that no one's interested, but the reality is people are more willing to hear than we as Christians often are to share. So friends, invite someone. And be motivated by the reality that Jesus promises reward for those who share the gospel. All right, application question number two is this. Well, how can I receive the gospel? Mike, I'm not ready to share the gospel because I'm not yet a Christian. So uh, my question today is this. How can I receive the gospel? And friends, now that we've covered the sermon, you know the answer. To receive the gospel is to receive the message of the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news, and the good news that we read about in Scripture is this. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Christ. Friends, our sin deserves the death penalty, but the good news is that Jesus loved us so much that he came to earth, and he took upon himself the punishment for sin that you and I deserved, and he just took it upon himself so that God's uh, sense of justice could be satisfied. And we could go free. And friends, that's the good news. And if you're ready to turn to Jesus in faith today and ask him to forgive you of your sins, and if you're ready to appoint him Lord of your life, meaning you're ready to appoint him the leader of your life, then today is the day where God will visit you with salvation. And friends, you don't have to wait till the end. You don't have to wait. We don't have to close our eyes. We don't have to bow our head right now. Right now in your heart, if you're ready to receive Jesus, receive the good news that he can forgive you of your sins and grant you citizenship in his eternal kingdom, just tell God in your heart, God, save me. God, save me. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting Jesus to forgive my sins and to make heaven my eternal home. And on the authority of God's word, if you will ask that of God, even if it's just in the inner recesses of your heart, God will save your soul today. That's how you receive the gospel. And when you receive it, it comes with reward. And the reward is eternal life. Let that motivate you and let it let you receive Jesus today. Finally, number three, final application question, and we're done, is this. Application question number three, how can I aid the gospel? Now, there's loads of different ways you can do this, but I'm going to share with you today just one super practical way. Friends, you can aid the gospel, aid the work of the gospel by giving to our Christmas offering. For those of you who are new, every year, almost since the start of our church, we've just had a special Christmas offering from Thanksgiving through the end of the year. We do it each year. And what we do is during this time, we just invite you to give an offering, which is something above and beyond your tithe. To do what? To aid the work of the Lord. 
And as we've been announcing over the last several weeks, uh, this year's Christmas offering is going to 100% go towards the start of another New Day Church location in Massachusetts in fall of 2023. We're going to take what came in last year, we're going to add it to what came in this year, and we're going to trust God, step out in faith, and we're going to have two Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches throughout this region for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. And I just want to invite you to be a part of it. Even if only in a cold cup of water type of way, every little bit helps. And we'd love for you to participate this year. Now, if you need some motivation to participate, because we've been talking about motivation today, right? If you need some motivation to participate, then I want you to turn your attention to the screen where you're going to hear the wonderful story of what God is doing in Leah's life. And friends, by giving an offering this year, you will help to multiply beautiful, redemptive stories like these. Take a look. You know, we were going to church twice a week as a family, and I got involved in youth group. I had a pretty strong walk with God. My parents and our family stopped going to the church that we more or less grew up going to because of just some falling out. And around that time, I also met my son's dad. And, um, you know, we didn't share the same faith. It didn't take a long time for the marriage to really fall apart and dissolve. I was so lost. And I realized that I needed a faith of my own. I needed that relationship to be real between me and God. I, I found New Day Church when they were at the hotel. The worship music was playing, and, and for the first few times or a few months even, like I just remember having a hard time getting through the worship music without getting emotional because I felt like I had been gone for so long and that I had let my faith fall to the wayside for so long, and I realized how important that was in my life. It, it really is true what New Day says, like they're growing disciples, and my path has been a path of growth, and, and my faith is now very personal. It's not my parents' faith. I'm not just modeling what I know is to look like good behavior on the outside. It's a genuine desire to to please God and to to honor Him with with what I do. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving, or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.